0: Hello and welcome to Analyzing Finance with Nick. In this video we are going to be discussing the economic future of Mexico and we have a special guest to help us with that discussion. uh, Jim Edwards who built his career on international trade relations between the United States and Mexico. Um, He has several business interests on both sides of the border and I think it would be a very um, educational insight to listen to what he has to say on this topic. Uh, The interview kind of got cut off towards the back end but the overall view is that Jim is very optimistic about Mexico for a variety of reasons but one underlooked one that we were able to dive into due to technical difficulties was the rise of the startup culture in Mexico and Mexico now um, is having its first generation of entrepreneurs and technology entrepreneurs who are hitting liquidity events and reinvesting into the country. A notable one includes Bismarck Lepe as an example who is both an American and a Mexican background but he started his first technology company and had a liquidity event is now reinvesting a lot of those proceeds into building more technology companies within Mexico itself. Uh, without further ado, we'll get started on the interview, and thank you for watching this series. Hello, and welcome to the Davos Monthly Expert Call, which will also be partially aired on Analyzing Finance with Nick. Um, I am Nick Pardini, and I have a special guest here is Jim Edwards. Uh, before we get into the conversation about the economic future of Mexico and what's going on in the mexican financial markets which have been probably the hottest emerging market in the last 2 years or so from an investment perspective what is your background and your history of doing business in mexico
1: well thanks nick um you know i'm going to touch on things that go back into the 60s as a student and progress forward till today but i'll start with a couple of highlights today all of that which i did and all that which i learned to do ends up Today, I deal with cabinet members, governors, and heads of industrial families in Mexico uh, advising them on certain strategies and advising them on certain uh, foreign direct investment coming into Mexico, uh, significantly Chinese uh, industrial companies coming into Mexico. And in that, I have a partner, and that partner is a former ambassador of Mexico to Colombia, a highly regarded uh, businessman. So I had to, uh, I was a part of the U.S. Olympic team, track team. And my track skills weren't as good as my linguistic, uh, voca- uh, translation skills, so I didn't quite make the final cut for the team on track. But I did as the interpreter for the U.S. track team, and or one of them, I should say. And uh, we actually had Mexican national uh, champions train with us in the U.S. And then I went back in Mexico in a series of uh, opportunities to work there, covering the industries that at the time were the most exciting. So in the 1960s, the current thing we're calling near-shoring had its first form in maquiladora. Uh, some people called it the twin factory cross-border. But it was a exemption for goods that were assembled and proved in Mexico to come back Uh, tariff exempt on the improved value. You just paid uh, value on the labor value added. I was involved with mass housing, low-income mass housing. Uh, Mexico builds more homes per year than the U.S. does in some years, and uh, especially uh, single-family ownership homes. That's a subsidized program for all workers who are paying into Social Security in Mexico. And I later had the opportunity, still in my 20s, to work with an airline and uh, coordinate an airline. So I really got to fly everywhere in Mexico and meet typically who was the wealthiest person in town, because that's who owned the hotel. These were all not international flagged. These were all independent hotels that some wealthy local owner in, if it was a seaport, he was a fisherman or an agriculture guy. If it was an interior city, he probably owned one of the wealthiest factories or whatever in that town. And then uh, the format I work in, my enterprise, my business called Vista Nova, it took shape uh, when I was in my early 30s, and this is uh, back in uh, the 70s, uh, early 80s, and uh, became an advisory firm for services, for fees to those different industry groups that I've just named, and people would come to me and say, "Gee, we want to move our factory to Mexico. I would help them do that." People would come to me and say, "Gee, we want to develop a hotel. I would help them do that." Um I saved a couple bucks. I, I'd also I made a come up, but I've been involved in stock trading since I was a teenager. when I saved some money and I started investing and investing quite honestly in u s real estate and u s uh, early stage equities, tech companies. But I started doing that in Mexico too, eventually. So today's access is highest level access. I have a team of PhD economists who are in academic positions in key universities in Mexico that I work with. Uh, We've written a few books together. I'm I'm the token gringo, Anglo, looking from the business investment point of view in in those writings. And that's kind of where I'm at.
0: Okay, so with that, Let's start with our conversation. What is your overall outlook
1: on the economic future of
0: Mexico? Um, I know we've previously mentioned that you think there's very divergent de- outcomes depending on certain regions and industries. So feel free to elaborate on that as well.
1: Yeah, I, I use a theme that there are many Mexicos, and I'd just like to help especially the listener audience. I know you know a lot about this. Um, there are many Mexicos. You can look geographically just in climate. North, Central, South, and that would be one indication, not unlike California, where you have a coastal industrialized, high-tech community, and you have a largest agricultural uh, concentration in the United States, is still in the Central Valley of California. So someone says, this is what California is. I I would say there are many Californias, obviously. There are many Mexicos, so geographically, and then uh, climate-wise, then demographically rural to urban and then industry group concentrates I'll, I'll say this first in the context there are many mexico's i know a lot of the negatives someone else could know more of the negatives or have a personal experience about negative experience with mexico but in the context of the question you asked the future of mexico i'm helped by a lot of publishing that's going on now The year 2050 seems to be a nice year to pick because it gives you a lot of leeway to see if you came true or not. But there is a study out by Erson Young for Global Economies 2050, and it puts Mexico as the seventh economy of the world on that occasion in 2050. Discounting the current immediate politics which I would hope that would be true, is to economic policy in the United States, discounting this present, currently who has only 18 months left in office. Mexico, ups and downs, ups and downs, has been a net gainer during my entire adult life. The middle class is 40% of the population today. It was perhaps 15% of the population 40 years ago when I began as a serious student. So Mexico... And and think of the flux today is I'm learning day to day. You, you study it, I read the headlines, uh, the questions about petroleum policy around the world, the question about uh payment for petroleum around the world and which currencies. Um I I think the US still is a net winner. The ENY study that puts Mexico as number seven puts the US as number uh three. China number one, actually, US number two, India number three. Um, But, uh, you know, so there's a lot of things to say about the flux of the world because all of those world powers, China, Russia, India, significantly export or would care to, and Russia doesn't, but would care to export to the US. Mexico ends up having a wonderful benefit. As long as it uh, maintains a a trade accord, favorable trade accord with the US. And I I believe it will always be in the US's uh, best interest for that to be the case.
0: So, generally, you're pretty optimistic on the outlook of Mexico.
1: I'm I'm very optimistic long term. And, you know, who am I? I? Let's accept that companies like Toyota and LG and Mercedes and BMW and major power companies around the world that are significant foreign direct investors in Mexico today, know what they're doing and paid a lot of money to hire people smarter than me to help evaluate it. I'm 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 just kind of a tag along that reads trends and reconfirms them for the specific businesses I'm involved with. And those trends in certain of its strengths, I understand in depth. Uh, the strength of the people of Mexico, their character, their work ethic, uh, the strength of education, uh, engineering, Uh, Mexico is the fourth nation in the world as to the number, absolute number of engineers it graduates each each year. And the already uh, proven application of that in automotives, aerospace, Uh, medical device. Uh, Those are the dominant uh, advanced education areas using engineering that are showing the proof of Mexico's uh, strengths and indication of the future.
0: So you mentioned that the current leadership is holding the country back. How are they doing that exactly? And what are the odds of a better leader being elected in the next election or a more productive majority political party?
1: Yeah. So First of all, because we are within 18 months of the next election, we do know who the candidates are. We know which parties have any possibility of prevailing. It happens to be that the current president's party, and he's the founder of the party, is prevailing in all the polls. I'm pretty much convinced, everyone that advised me convinced, this same party will prevail in the next, and it's it's a six-year term, presidential term um all of the candidates indicated have less history of a total leftist bent have more history of some pro business uh better pro business policy uh, better economic uh policy and within them there are some that are even better than others within those candidates uh there has there mexico has a Really, uh, the the Supreme Court of Mexico isn't a factor, like we have our checks and balances, but the Congress of Mexico, uh, a Senate and a House of Deputies does have strengths, uh, vetoed uh, or overruled things uh, that this current president proposed. So they showed strength that wasn't just in lockstep with a leftist leaning. So this, this president, you know, uh, talks extremely left, has his meetings with you know, the Venezuelans, the Cubans, uh, the Peruvians, the Iranians around the world. But in fact, implemented policy was just frustrating and irksome so far, uh, with still a lot of good business being done. Explosive uh, automotive industry, for example, and explosive permitting going on or in process for further advancements in energy, in manufacturing, in infrastructure, uh, ports all of that.
0: So basically just even within AMLO's party it's just a more moderate tone that will be more productive for business.
1: There is a large community of governors that carry the AMLO party it's it's called Morena uh, that carry that party banner and in Mexico that's that's another way uh, for me to come back to that theme I uh, the, the the word I is there are uh, there are many Mexicos The government and the economy run with significant states' rights, and so a state governor has tremendous authority and autonomy over a lot of programs, even those that are cooperatively supported with federal funds. Um, The historical tax distribution is taxes are uh, administered by the federal government, paid in to a federal agency, and then distributed. One-third federal, it was supposed to be one-third state, and one-third the lo- the local municipality where the funds were collected. It's skewed higher to the federal government and a little bit higher to the state, and the cities are often left at, at disadvantage. But just to give you a feeling for how that's done. Uh, state and state governors have significant uh, budget resources, uh, the, the wealthier ones of them, and they have significant uh, authority for initiative. And therefore, you have some states that show uh, business organization. They're often states where you have uh, well-regarded universities and well-regarded established in-place industrial base. And so each each state can have a lot of influence that also helps balance a given uh, president like this current one that was more left than a lot of the state economies were.
0: Energy. And Mexico is famous for completely nationalizing it's oil industry. And every time the prospect of Pemex reform has been brought up, it gets shot down relatively quickly. Do you th- And as a result, a lot of the potential energy extraction of that Me- uh, 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 could be coming out of Mexico is probably lower than it could be at its maximum potential. So, I mean, what do you think are the chances of reform of Pemex or just in general increased privatization of the oil industry in Mexico. Okay.
1: Other than uh, this president, which I'll I'll use the term lame duck, okay, that 18 months that he has left, Congress has been making votes showing that they recognize him as lame duck. Other than this president, and so we have four-plus years of him, it's a six-year reign, as I said before, six-year term, non-repeatable. Mexico, actually, going back 20 years, has been in energy reform. And so up till four years ago, with the most recent past president, there was major investment from the U.S., Canada, the Europeans, and in wind and solar, all supplied by equipment dominantly from China. So there had been a huge run-up. And there was even the case where you could do, a as an industrial uh, organization, you could do your own power supply and self-supply. You could go off-grid to the government uh, grid, and they accepted that. You were even in some uh, trial uh, activities of selling power into the grid. And so I'm talking generally, so we're talking about wind and, and solar and uh, we'll talk about that first and then come back to the meat of it, the, the bulk of it the policy is in regard to petroleum. So you had all of those things happening. You had foreign investment. You had uh, the Singapore so- uh, sovereign uh, fund, uh, Tamasek, in the petroleum industry, in the services area. I know of several billion dollars that they put in. So there was that. And there were U.S. companies that had come back over this last 20 years up until this president, this president has triggered. Uh, before it was NAFTA, and now it's uh, TMEC, uh, the Trade of Mexico, Estados Unidos, uh, Canada. It's um, there are disputes going going to litigation. There are disputes going to tribunal. What, whatever is called for in the particular industry for disputes about trade interruption. Uh, this current president, his party, this government is accused. By major U.S. and European interests of uh, not living up to their agreements, uh, that and as it specifically applies to the petroleum industry. There are companies that have uh, had to shut down hundreds of millions of dollars of uh, producing assets and just stand back. And so there are many examples of that. That is not the dominant profile, but there are many examples of that. The trend is better. And 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 definitely, we look forward in the, the next administration. A fact is, Mexico is the least efficient producer of petroleum in the world. They have more- Even labor. less than Venezuela? Yeah, they have more labor units per hour attached to producing a barrel of oil at more cost. So that's bad administration. The good news, they always say when you have a problem and you can identify it, then it can be solved. There is intelligence in the world, and even inside Mexico, although might be the engineers that aren't politically in favor right now. It, secondly, it has mismanaged its allocation of its assets. It didn't reinvest in the development of reserves that are known to be there. But it's one thing for them to be there, and you know which section of the thousand-mile square-mile grid. Is the rich part that you should be exploring or exploiting after exploring, and and so they they're really behind in all of that, but it doesn't take away from what their rich future could be, and here's the kind of things that happen just when you thought you knew something. There are many Mexicos. Mexico is basically the best location for solar energy on the face of the earth. One climate favors them to produce it but two this growth that we're talking about this uh, near shoring uh, this automotive industry all has the demands for the power Is so the they,
0: security they... situation though in mexico um like safe enough that to prevent those solar plants from being ransomed or vandalized or anything like that
1: why don't you give me that opinion on the us first well, this is a question to talk about Mexico, so that's one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I apologize for saying it that way, Nick, but uh, I don't think it's greater in Mexico than in the U.S. And in some ways, th- let's put it this way, those things that are in the government's interest in Mexico are highly protected. So, the capital city of Mexico and the major economic city of Guadalajara and the main education economic city of Guadalajara and the major industrial economic education city of Monterey are not suffering cartel related um uh, insecurity
0: yeah I was thinking more if you just built a giant solar plant in the middle of the desert that's not very populated
1: it, it would it would be protected okay and and they are protected So all all I'm trying to say is when the Mexican government at the federal and state and even local level prioritizes uh, protecting something, it gets protected. Okay. That
0: answers my question. So with the security situation not as of a concern, what is your thoughts then on the potential for solar in Mexico?
1: It's tremendous. Even this president... In his interference was just saying, gosh, I think I've figured out how to game, uh, play a game with the United States. We have a trade accord, and it has an energy accord, and it was pretty clear that we were going to allow a lot of new investment interests in uh, petroleum industry. But we didn't talk about electricity enough that I think the United States has a clear case to stop us from trying to have the vast majority of sustainable energy, especially solar and wind, anything producing electricity. This president made a run and made a decree to have that become 60% Mexican government monopoly, that all energy had to be produced, 60% of all energy. That's in conflict with the U.S. interpretation of the trade agreement, It's in conflict with my interpretation of the trade agreement. For the little bit that matters, but it's in conflict with most people's understanding. And so Mexico is fighting to grab onto control of it because they're confident how big it's going to be. Mexico has the engineering capability, has the track record experience already in place as to solar that I believe that Mexico will be one of the exemplary places in the world of uh, effectively using solar.
0: And the next question I have is with the future of Mexico, what is the path of Mexico becoming a developed country, the similar standard of living of a place like Italy, France, Spain, the U.S. or Japan? And how likely is that to happen by 2050?
1: Yeah, uh, and my answer is... Pretty much yes yes and yes and now i'll give a couple of uh sub statements to that that trend that i saw in my lifetime firsthand uh, a teenager in uh, a secondary school exchange program in mexico in the 60s and mexico today it is a fact that you have rural to urban uh, movement of population uh, access to education is. One of the upsides of that improved access Uh, affluence. uh, Mexico's quality of life for a college graduate. In some ways, I'd say is better than a California college graduate for sure, because you probably can afford to buy a home. You will own a house and uh, your skills are in high demand. For the inequity that occurs so i'll go back a step mexico by definition of economic terms is a developed nation it's not an underdeveloped nation so on average right we know how averages work they don't work so well for the person that doesn't benefit from them
0: yeah mexico statistically is one of the most successful emerging markets i'm just thinking right to find a developed nation is like the level of like your eu us and japan
1: Absolutely. I'm of the opinion that U.S. native-born people, easiest to say perhaps those that were born into Hispanic families that are bilingual, but U.S. native-born college graduates, special skill set people between now and 2050 will increasingly either move to Mexico for jobs, teleport jobs, whatever, and it will be uh, increasing. People will find it in their interests to participate in opportunities in Mexico. That's how that's how far I think it goes. I I, I believe that uh, by the evaluation that's made of the net gains, that perhaps we would have the inequities of economy to less than fifty percent of the population. So today, you have fifty percent of the population that you can talk positively about and if you're a member of those households you're upwardly mobile uh economically and 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 Mexican society is extremely uh open and fair uh it's it's an economic measurement the, the, the snob appeal the elitism the my family came from the mayflower in the us or my family came over you know with uh, cortez in, in mexico or came with the industrial revolution and from a great family of Europe, and that, not so much. Me- Mexico is a wonderfully uh, open, open society. Uh, the economics I see improving, where it's not 50% of the population being in marginal economics. You have about 20% structurally of extreme poverty in Mexico. The, the poverty that gut-wrenching, that people go on uh, relief trips to Mexico, people that work with church groups, people that try to address extreme rural poverty. And it's the same kind of thing that I think we've classically uh, profiled, like with Africa, where you don't see where people are getting to the first uh, higher step on the ladder of economic progress. I I believe that gets reduced. I mean, today it's 50%. I think that gets continuously reduced between now and 2050. So what is the path
0: that, and what steps is the Mexican government make
1: or the
0: business community of Mexico is going to do to raise living standards to such the degree that you think that it's going to happen?
1: I'm encouraged about technology and what technology does for us. Uh, What's the underlying component of education is communication. So what we, you and I, are doing right now, and what we're doing for the the people who watch this, we're we're communicating and educating. Uh, technology is allowing for communication to be vastly distributed, uh, greatly and less expensively. I, I think Mexico will have continuously improved education, just because the whole world will have it, but Mexico will also. And I, I believe that will be a major factor of continuously improving access to education, continuously improving informed people, making informed decisions.
0: But why do you think Mexico is going to be able to do it? And a country like Brazil, who's been the country of the future for the last 50 years, will not be able to do it?
1: You make that pairing easy for me. Brazil is a cultural disaster, cultural political disaster, and they've proven it currently, and Mexico is not uh Me- Mexico or and if
0: you want to make it a little harder like a Southeast Asian country like Thailand
1: Aha, that's better but say they've gone through well okay yeah Thailand is emerging nation nation uh you know I I spent a lot of time in Southeast Asia I sat on the board of some public companies and, and visited all of Southeast Asia they're highly advanced uh, across the board and so e- even Thailand is highly advanced, even though they have poverty and they're they're I'm less. I'm as a
0: comparison because they're to similar in Mexico in terms of level of development. Yeah,
1: I, you know, I, I'm cheating by using the 2050. 2050 allows me to give a prognosis of optimism. Uh, I I I wouldn't give you. Uh, I wouldn't like to be measured about the prognosis of progress uh, in the next five years or even twelve years. Uh, two presidential reigns. Um, you know up and down and the two-step one step forward two steps backwards in a given category of politics and, and influence but the fiber of Mexico again remembering that states governors have a lot of authority I happen to have the privilege of interacting with multiple governors right now and my specific conversation with them is economic development hi what's your attitude about economic development who's your economic development officer And what can we talk about that can uh, be positively effective long term? Uh, I see the strength coming from there. And because of that, presidents come from either being a former governor or a cabinet member. And so I I have a lot of encouragement about where the thinking is at the state level in Mexico.
0: So I think federalism is the key to the success of Mexico, that they do allow flexibility on the state and local level compared to more unitary systems.
1: Correct.